0: Uh, Good to see you all. We're uh, fresh uh, into a new series uh, this morning, and uh, you can see that on your bulletin. It's called Rock Solid, where we're going to be working through a book of the Bible, 1 Peter, and uh, excited to do that. And this uh, morning, the title of this message, you'll see it there on the screen, is Don't Roll Your Eyes. And uh, you'll see what I mean by that as we progress. One of the things that we uh, are known for, unfortunately, within the church often is saying, The wrong things... At the wrong time, in fact, one of the things that people cringe is a lot of times Christ followers give platitudes that are like, "Oh man, why did they say that in the moment?" I was t- we were talking about that in the office uh, this week, and uh, Kevin, who's one of our interns I was like, Kevin, can you help me look up uh, online try to find uh, maybe a list of some of the, the dumb things that Christians say uh, during trial and, uh, and I thought maybe he'd find like three or four he's like, I, I found 15 to 20 if you want to add to the list and so uh, I jotted down a couple couple of them. Uh, Maybe you've been on the receiving end of some of these at the wrong thing at the wrong time. Uh, They are in a better place. Man, that's a tough one when you're dealing with legit pain. They're in a better place. There's a reason for everything. Oh, that one, that's tough. Uh, There's always someone who's worse off than you are. And and this this one was up about 9 notches from there. I I don't even I was hesitant to even add it on the list. At least you have other kids. Oh. Jesus never said life was going to be easy. She was such a good person. God wanted her all to himself. Like some of the things that people say, you're just like What in the world? Do we we not think through those things, saying the the wrong thing at the wrong time? But what we'll see this morning in this uh, section of Scripture in this text is sometimes it's just the opposite. It's maybe the right thing, just the wrong time. And sometimes it breaks my heart because some of the things that are said, you're like, well, if that wasn't a better context there's actually truth behind that statement. If it was actually not being mishandled and thrown around at the wrong time, here's just a a lesson for all of us to learn. When somebody's going through a difficult time, you don't have to say much of anything. Just say, I'm so sorry, I love you. Give them a a big hug. There's the, the teachable moment we can all run with. But I would hate for us to miss some of the foundational truths that are actually in some of the platitudes that are given, This morning, the book of 1 Peter, he's writing, and I'm going to explain this a little uh, more further on. He's writing to some pretty discouraged people, and I was looking through. I'm like, actually, he says a lot of the things that we often say, and so it would be wonderful if maybe we could lay those as a foundation so that we don't have to say them when someone's in the middle of crisis. We can actually hold on to some of these things ourselves. So let me pray before we dive into chapter one of 1 Peter. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be together, and we thank you for your word that gives such practical truth. And even though sometimes it's hard for us to absorb some of these things, when we're in the middle of the trial, my prayer and hope is that there would be a foundation laid so that when the trial comes, these truths would already be deep within who we are. God, we ask that you teach us through this section of scripture that you would be great and I would be small. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So, chapter one, I would love if everyone's looking at this with me. It's a lot easier to follow along. First, uh, Peter, chapter one, verse one, we're introduced to the author, which you don't have to guess on Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you've spent any time in the Gospels, Peter was one of the 12 disciples, and he was known for being kind of in the inner circle. If the word apostle would be somebody that had spent time with Jesus. If you remember though, he had a name change. Anybody can tell me what his name was prior to Peter? Simon or Cephas was the name beforehand. And so Simon was given this new name right after he had announced Jesus was the Messiah they had been waiting for. So Jesus said, and That's one of the things I love about Jesus. He said, I'm giving you a new name. Can you imagine going around and just meeting people? You know what, I'm not going to, you're no longer John, you're Bill. You know, like uh, that's that what Jesus, Jesus, when you're God in the flesh has the ability to do that. And he gave him this name. And what does the name Peter mean? Anybody have a sense of that? The rock, you see that in our title. So long before Dwayne Johnson, like Peter was the rock, the original rock, which was kind of ironic because he was anything but a rock. If you know his story in the New Testament, he was known for floundering and making some really poor decisions, speaking up uh, before he had a foundation to be able to stand. And what was awesome is that Jesus saw who he's going to become, not who he was currently. I find solace in that, that, that's the lens in which he sees us through, not necessarily who we are, but what he sees as the potential. He told Peter that he was going to build his church on him as a foundation. And then in Acts chapter 1 through 10, we spent time in that last year, we actually saw that proved to be true. Once Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was unstoppable. He was on fire. He was courageous, confident in Jesus Christ. And so that's the version of Peter that's writing this letter. We see then in the second half of verse one, who he's writing the letter to. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Blithia, Blithnia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood may grace not grace may grace I've done that all three services may grace and peace be multiplied to you So this is the initial greeting to his audience, and just so you're clear on who this is, this is the early church, and this is made up of people living in what would be northern Turkey or Asia Minor back then, mostly non-Jewish believers that are amidst some pretty significant heavy persecution from their Roman and Greek neighbors, basically people that they were accustomed to sinning with, now they're set apart, and so Peter's writing to them to try to lift them up, to lift their spirits of encouragement. So he starts with this initial greeting, and it's kind of an initial greeting that has a lot packed into it. The first thing, and you see this this title that I gave it, I'll explain that as we go. First thing that he does is he refers to them as elect exiles, Now, elect, or the word chosen, maybe in some of your uh, translations that you're reading, chosen is a word that all through the whole Old Testament was describing who? Israelites. It was God's chosen people. So he's wanting these new non-Jewish believers to understand, hey, you're part of the family. You're part of the chosen race, you're elect, which is a pretty cool place to be adopted into. So now uh, associating them with Abraham's family and saying the kind of this amazing news that you're elect exiles. So again, similar to Abraham, kind of wandering and not quite at home yet. That's the idea of an exile, somebody that's not in their homeland. I don't know if there's any world travelers here, but you feel the the, the weight of that when you end up in a location that you're like, wow, this is d- definitely not like home. A number of years back, my wife and I spent some time in southern China, in the Hanan Islands. I'm probably still saying it wrong after all these years. A beautiful location, but it was unquestionably different than what we are familiar with. Anybody spend some time somewhere that you're like, this is not. This is not like home. This is very different. There are things on the menus, uh, animals that we consider pets. You know, like there was a lot of things very different when we were there that they that they were uh, that were just normal part of their culture. And we uh, had one day when we were there that we decided to go on this little adventure to a, a an island in the air, an island off of the islands. and they had the, like all these things were so inexpensive, like twenty dollars for a day at the private island. We show up to go on this boat. And there's two guys there standing with machine guns, welcoming us onto the boat. It was going to be the four of us going to a, a private island. So we went, you know, because they do things different regardless, depending on where you're at. This is the idea. And you're like, oh, how does that relate? Here's the thing that he wants us to understand. Not to get comfortable where you're currently at because you're not at home. A lot of people visiting the United States are like, whoa, that's so different. I remember being in Kenya, over, uh, hearing a couple Kenyans saying, I'd never travel there. It's not safe at all in America. And so, just the perspective of where you're at, understand you're not at home for us. That's an encouragement that he's saying, don't get comfortable and don't be weirded out when you're not welcomed in. So, he's calling them elect exiles, they're chosen. They're set apart for a different kingdom, and all of this was part of, you see it there in the text, the foreknowledge of God. How awesome is that? To know that God chose you and set you apart before even the foundation of the earth. We talked about predestination in our study in Romans quite a bit if you want to revisit that, but here's the idea, is that God in his wisdom, and you see all three parts of the Trinity here, God had the plan, the Holy Spirit did the transforming work as described there, the sacrifice of Jesus, sacrificing a a blood sacrifice, all of those came together so that he could have this greeting there at the beginning, two Simple words, grace and peace. I was doing a little study on that this week, and out of the twenty-one epistles, sixteen of them have that exact same uh, greeting, which is kind of interesting. Maybe you can add that to your email uh, this week. But grace and peace is like the Christ follower way to greet somebody. And the thing that's interesting about that is you'll never ever see it flip flop. You'll never see it said peace and grace. It's always grace and peace, because you'll never experience peace apart from God's grace. It's the starting point for experiencing God's grace. And so all of this, I hope that you start to see a little bit here in this letter, he's pointing to this big idea. There's something special about this audience. Now, sometimes when we read that, you're special in God's eyes. You almost say it with like a weird voice, but it's absolutely the truth. It's a foundational thing when you're going through trials to understand you are deeply loved. You are special. In fact, just for a second, try telling your neighbor without rolling your eyes, try to tell them you're special in God's eyes. Go ahead, try it. Let's see if you can do it. See, some of you do it with a little giggle. I see that truth. But if, listen, listen, if we can allow that to take root as a foundation, then we could avoid saying that at the most inopportune times. Take root now so we don't have to say it later. Makes sense? Next big idea here is another, maybe uh, one of the things that we consider uh, an awkward thing to say to someone. Better days are coming. Verse three, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, "'according to his great mercy.'" He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this, verse four. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We'll stop there for a moment. I don't know if maybe when you're going through trouble, some of the most difficult people to be around are people that are constantly jolly and happy and praise the Lord people. Do you have that person in your life? I'll be honest with you. When I was growing up, my mom was that person. She's right here in the, in the second row. I love her dearly. Uh, my mom, uh, you might not know this about my mom. My mom, when I was a, a, a little kid, was diagnosed with MS. Is a pretty traumatic thing for our family. And she would have what, if you're familiar with the disease, she would have what's called MS attacks. And there's times where all of a sudden she went from being able to walk to being like paralyzed from the waist down, literally, like couldn't, couldn't move. And uh, I remember in those different times that we'd go and j- just check in with her and like, how, how are things going? She'd be in the hospital or dealing with this. She was always. Always, regardless, well, praise the Lord. He's got this all figured out. She was always upbeat about this. We're like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like uh, this, uh, this, this, this reality, and she's, when I was younger, I was confused by it. Now, as I'm older, I start to see where she had placed her hope. Her hope was in Jesus Christ. She, she wasn't clinging to things that we so often do, things of health. Now she's been in remission and just confounded doctors for years and years and years because of that. I believe that foundation of understanding, you know, regardless of what happens to us physically, better days are coming. And as often as we hear that, we want to cringe and push back against it. He's saying exactly for the reason for that. He said, look, look ahead. What does he describe there? He says there's an inheritance on the horizon. Now picture whatever trial you're going through or difficulty that you, and some of them are like legit things people are going through, especially in our church. Now, if someone showed up, let's just play this out. If I show up at your doorstep, this gets weird, I know, ring the doorbell, you answer the door and I'm standing there with one of those big old checks, like the the, the clearinghouse special, you know, one of those for $100 million. I mean, this is no $1,000 winner. This is like legit $100 million. Now think about whatever trial you have. It might not solve that trial. It might not take it away. Do you think though maybe your continence might be a little bit lifted? Let's be real. Some of you are like super Christians. I'd give it all to the poor. But the rest of us would be like, hey, that might change things. Like that would be like, whoa, that's a drastic difference. That's basically what he's approaching this audience and say, you have an inheritance, that's on the other end of this. That's, that's not a perishable one. I love he lists all those, the, those descriptor, descriptors of it. It's not that something that fades. It's not, it's not something that changes. It is a constant. Better days are coming, undefiled, and perishable, uh, uh, unfading. It's stored up. It's being protected for you. There's an inheritance on the horizon. Better days are coming. I have a friend, actually a roommate from college that we've stayed in touch a little bit. And he's had some real ups and downs financially over the years. But his father-in-law, it's a real interesting story. His father-in-law is super well off, owns a really large company and actually gave him, signed him off as having a percentage, like a third of this company. uh, He's a, a third owner of it. Well, during the, like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I remember interacting with him, and uh, and he was foreclosing on his home and having to, like live in in hotel rooms. And uh, while he was a third owner of something probably worth like $50 million. And so was, I was talking to him, I was like, I was like that's, that's really weird. He's like, yeah. He said, yeah, it's tough. It's kind of frustrating at times. But he's like, but everything in the future is going to be all right. We're gonna, he's like, I don't have to add to a 401k. I don't have to add, you know, like he's, he's got this, horizon, this thing on the horizon. It d- d- didn't make sense to me how the dad was treating him. But either way, the idea was this. He had his eyes ahead on the horizon. He's able to say, better days are coming financially. And it's changed his mindset drastically through even some of the difficult times. And I think that's a little bit of the audience here needed to understand that. And so for us, a little bit of that could take root, could be a wonderful resource when you're in the middle of whatever trial you're going through. There's an inheritance on the horizon. It's founded, you see there in the text, in a living hope, as Chad talked about, we're not serving a, 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 a dead savior, but a, a risen savior. Verse six, another uh, maybe a platitude that maybe rubs us the wrong way. Your trial is only temporary, says in verse six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith or precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Two key words I wanted you to catch in there is what? Little while, little while. Whatever suffering, whatever trial you're going through this season will pass. And as much as we cringe when somebody says that when we're in the middle of it, there's actually a biblical basis for that. There's a truth, there's a foundation. And to understand that it's just temporary. All of this, this is all fading away. I was reading this article of, again, visiting with the the China idea, the the persecuted church in China was talking about this this topic where uh, the, the suffering, really what this section points to, how it's led to people with just like legit, rock solid faith because they've experienced what? Hardship. It's funny how that works. That's why it points to it. It says, you should see it as something as worthy of gold because on the other side of it, you're refined. You're, 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 your faith is deepened. You've seen that these things are, are fleeting and passing in this article, it was saying, talking about the American church and uh, a little bit of the, the difference there. And they were, they were bringing up the fact that the, uh, often the American church has an inadequate view of suffering. It hasn't been, that that muscle hasn't been developed enough so that we come to conclusions that are false, Uh, a health and wealth gospel that's so often presented. There one uh, uh, lady that had experienced all kinds of persecution was asked about, well, how does the health and wealth gospel work in in China? And her, her response, that teaching wouldn't make it very far here. That teaching wouldn't make it very far here, which is so true of a, of a statement because it's designed when we're through trial and on the other side of it, we're better equipped to survive future trials, right? So much so that he says, what does he say there? That you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The desired response of our trials is praise. And that's always weird, I know, in church world to talk about that. You're like, how is that supposed to be uh, connected? But when you actually walk through it, you start to see, man, I'm a different person because of going through that, and I've seen his faithfulness. Peter didn't ask them to do anything he wasn't doing himself either, do you remember in Acts 5, 41, after being flogged? Can you imagine being beat for the name of Jesus Christ after literally being beaten? This is what it said about him. It says, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It's rejoicing that, that I could suffer for the name. That's, that's the author of this book. He had an understanding that the temporary nature of, of our situation allows us to have to see things through a different lens to see things differently And boy, does this all go fast! Anybody that's a little bit older now start to realize. You start looking back and be like, "Man, it just thirty. That seemed like that was just yesterday." You know, twenty. That seems like it was like two weeks ago. You know, like you start thinking back. And we we moved here seven years ago from Chicago. I can literally remember every detail of the first day unpacking the truck, all that. As seven years, and it keeps going faster and faster and faster. The reminder is that this is temporary. Your trial will pass. There's good things on the other side of that. In fact, we'll end with that in verse eight, this last principle that's maybe a cringer is that you have it better than you realize. Verse eight says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining, this is an important part, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is what? The salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when the predicted Uh, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, us, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let me explain to the, that section to you a little bit. It took me a couple reads to, to grasp what was happening. He was saying that this faith that you have, this faith that will ultimately lead to salvation of what? Your souls. That was something that the prophets had wondered, like, when is this going to happen? When's it going to happen? I, I know that it's coming. When's it going to happen? And then it, when it was announced to, to the, the net future generations, it was something that even the angels long to hear about. All of this is because sometimes I think our perception of what the rescue of our souls, how big of a deal that actually is. The eternity that we're headed to apart from Jesus Christ is a really bad thing. Eternity, separated from God, in hell, absent of love, joy, peace, all the things that Jesus is, absent of all of that. He's rescued us. Our souls are eternal. Now he's saying, now you're putting your hope in that. Things that they had longed to understand. They had longed to Now you get to be the recipients of that. Here's the important thing. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have it so much better than you realize. You have the end of the story, which is salvation, which is being held and protected for you as an inheritance. That is a huge deal. And whether that sinks in or not is going to determine how you deal with trials and suffering in your life. The degree in which that really takes root is going to determine how big of a deal things are. Because when you know the end of the story, then you're kind of like, man, that, that kind of everything else that I'm dealing with kind of pales in comparison when you know your eternal destination and what the next hundred million years looks like. Like anybody, everybody's like, oh, I wonder what I'm doing next month. How about in a hundred million years from now? The eternal being, salvation is a huge deal. When I was growing up, my, uh, since I brought up my mom, I'll bring up my dad Uh, My dad, my dad was very in to the Boston Celtics. I know that's not a popular thing to say uh, here in Los Angeles, but he loved this crazy basketball team. When there was a basketball game on, we'd all kind of clear the room to give him some space, you know, because there's a lot of interactions between him and the television, you know, like uh, in the uh, more specifically with referees and uh, the, the plays that were being called. And so much so that we would get a little bit, I'll be honest, a little concerned for his health. We're like, this can't be good for a person. I uh, i i heard a, a woman comedian talking uh, this last week and she was saying, man, I just wish my husband loved me like he loves his favorite sports team. And uh—and it was a, a good point. But uh, anyway, so we finally gave him some counsel and we're just like, dad, maybe it's better after VCRs came out. We're like, hey, maybe it's better if you record the game and once you hear how they did, then go back and watch it so you can enjoy it. So he actually took on to this. He, when the game was on, he would just be like, I'm done. He'd leave the room. He's done. He'd turn it off. It'd record. And he'd wait to see if they actually won the game. Then he would go back and watch it peacefully, enjoying it, Way much, much less yelling at the television. Is this true? Yes. And, uh, and so he's nodding. And so I didn't ask for permission for this story. But anyway... But but but, but I, I was thinking about that, and I was like, "That's it. That's that's the eternity story, isn't it? Like that's the eternity. When when you know how the story ends, when you when you when you're able to look at the the finished result, which is set, told here, is the salvation, rescue, redirect of your soul, the eternal part of who you are. When you know where that's going in Jesus Christ, it really literally redirects the lens." in which you see things. So for you, the next time you hear somebody say, you have it better than you realize, maybe don't roll your eyes, maybe be like, yeah, you're right, all of these. But then here's the here's the thing that I wanna say. This isn't an excuse for insensitive people to continue being insensitive. Can we get an amen there? Amen. Here, here's the foundation, is once you have these truths rooted, then you don't feel like you have to say them at stupid times to people. You can just hold on to them and be like, yeah, Scott talked about that. I don't have to say it. So that, that's, the, that's the takeaway from this, a couple of just foundational truths. You're special in God's eyes. You're deeply loved by him. There's better days are coming. Your trials, they're only temporary and you have it way better than you realized. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this section of truth found in your word. And I love to think that when Peter was prompted by your spirit to write these things, these were the foundational things that you wanted that audience to know and still the foundational things that you want us to know. That you are deeply loved. This is temporary. We do have an inheritance that's unfading if we've embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I thank you for that truth. I thank you for the hope presented in this book. I pray that it builds a rock solid foundation in us during trial. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So a couple of things just as you're leaving today, if there's something specific we can be praying for following the service, we have a few volunteers up front. And uh, then just once a month, we do this. We have what's called our deacons fund that we give back to a second offering in the service that we specifically have for people that are in our church or community here that are struggling. So if you want to give towards that as you're leaving today, you're welcome to. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday.